Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, boys and girls in Cyberland. Uh, this is Dr. Simon, and my show is called The Stories We Live By. Uh, I am broadcasting from now on a half hour earlier than I was at 8 o'clock. Uh, I'm keeping it on Wednesday because the last time I did a show on Tuesday, virtually nobody found me. Um, if you do want to call during this hour, it's 646 716 That's 646 Again, I'm always surprised that nobody really is listening. I'm talking into empty air, but uh, at least a 1,000 people, almost 2,000 sometimes, show up after I've hung up and finished the broadcast. Um, someone will have to explain that to me, but again, I don't have to ask. It doesn't matter, really. A couple of weeks ago, I did a show on guns, violence, and mental illness, in which I tried to make clear that this bizarre notion of uh, finding out who's mentally ill and then uh, preventing them from getting guns uh, is a no it just it doesn't work. Uh I pointed out as I have many times that what is in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh that psychiatrists and I use uh when I fill out insurance forms in order to be paid by insurance companies, we're all caught up in this thing, are not really medical problems, they are moral problems. Somebody's idea of bad behavior, bad habits, bad behavior, wrong thinking, um, and that there is no evidence whatsoever, and this is stated clearly from diagnosis to diagnosis in the DSM, that these are medical problems. That is, that they're accounted for primarily on the basis of some physiological abnormality or biochemical abnormality, something broken somewhere in the body or in the brain. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. And so uh, I tried to make that clear. Uh, and then uh, I let it go. Um, got a very good response in terms of numbers for that show, probably better than almost any other. And interestingly enough, I let it go. I forgot about it. Uh, it's died down in Washington. Um, I don't think anything's really going to be done. Um, although I suggested, and I suggest, I'll suggest again tonight, that what we do is that since we're making moral judgments and pretending them, pretending that these moral judgments, these ethical and moral judgments are medical problems, that we define gun ownership as a, medical, as a mental problem, as a mental disorder, since it fits the criteria of something that's potentially destructive and dangerous and restricts people's freedoms. So uh, I did that, and I do it again tonight. But what I want to do tonight is come back to the issue because uh, one of my favorite people down here uh, in, on, in the southeast coast of Florida is a professor of, uh, of uh, political science at, the, now he's at Lynn University, a fellow named Robert Watson, who's a prolific writer and a wonderful speaker. Um, <clears throat> he's an expert on Truman and uh, Lincoln, his two favorite presidents. I've heard him speak now a dozen times, and I always enjoy him. Uh, he has a really good routine. He speaks well. And... Um, 
he has come out also showing us that liberal Democrats can also not understand the issues that are involved here, as bright as he is, as bright as some of them are, that um, there should be a database, a large database of the mentally ill uh, with red flags uh, for those who are potentially dangerous. Now, the fact is, psychiatrists and psychologists are no better than anybody else in predicting who's dangerous or who will act violently. Nobody can do this really well. Um, we just don't have the ability. But not notwithstanding, uh, taking large sections of our population and red flagging them uh, is so dangerous to democracy. And it's not only dangerous to democracy, but it's dangerous to all of us because there's something very interesting here that none of these people talk about. If these people are truly sick, then they're not responsible for their actions. And one of the most awful things that you see, and I've seen so many times, are people who commit heinous acts and get off, uh, end up not in jail, but in a mental hospital uh, for treatment for their mental disorder, which has held them not accountable for what they've done. Um, if somebody says God told you to shoot somebody, uh, and the psychiatr your psychiatrist is, uh, is more uh, uh, persuasive to the jury, you can end up being treated for an undisclosed amount of time, you know, undetermined amount of time, uh, and not do any kind of punishment. My own feeling is if you commit murder and God tells you to do it, uh, God didn't tell you to do it because there's no God to tell you to do such a thing. If there was such a thing, it's the God wouldn't tell you to do it. Um, but in any event, uh, you should say to God, I'm sorry, uh, thou shalt not kill and not do it. To be a responsible individual is to refuse uh, to do things like that. If your friend told you to commit murder and you did, you'd go right to jail. But because you claim that God told you to do it, and then you're held mentally ill, you're not responsible for your actions. So that huge numbers of people who are red flagged as mentally ill are going to have a case made for them before the fact that they shouldn't go to jail because they're sick. And if you're sick, you're not responsible for your actions. It, it, it's already bent the legal system out of out of shape this notion but what i want to do tonight is show you how broad these definitions are virtually everybody in the united states in the world according to the dsm the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders and i'm only going to use the word dsm to save breath <clears throat> um there are diagnoses in this big fat book of, let me see, how many pages? Almost 900 pages. <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of diagnoses that cover everybody. Nobody, virtually nobody, is not in this book. Right? <clears throat> and psychologists and psychiatrists who are familiar with the book know that you can apply this to almost anybody. One or others, or multiple numbers of these diagnoses. If you're hearing my voice, it really owe it to yourself to go to your public library 
ask at the information desk for the DSM and spend a couple of hours going through it. First, you'll be amazed, you'll be horrified at the things in it that uh, allow you or, or demand that you be diagnosed as having a mental disorder. And I'm going to go through a whole bunch of these tonight. Um, so so you, you be, this other thing is read the criteria, because the criteria are clearly behavioral. There is no medical diagnosis being made here. Uh, and I'll say again, if in fact something is shown to have a medical cause, a biological cause to it, uh, I won't be able to treat it, nor will the psychiatrists. Even if they're medical doctors, it, it won't matter. It'll go to real doctors, not priests, secular priests of our society who make moral judgments and pretend and dress up these, these ethical and moral judgments as pseudo-medical problems. So, do yourself a favor. What I'm going to do today is go through some of these diagnoses, certainly not all, because there are so many hundreds of them, uh, except I'm going to leave out children. Next week, I want to do a show just on the diagnostic categories for children, because every child in the world is diagnosable as mentally disturbed by the list that's there. To me, that is the most horrifying and the most awful aspect of this. Uh, Fifty years ago, uh, 35, 40 years ago, um, it was believed that children weren't mature enough to be called mentally disturbed or mentally disordered or mentally ill. And now we have a range of diagnostic categories that uh, cover virtually every child alive. And I want to go through them uh, particularly oppositional defiant disorder and uh, hyperactivity, uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, and talk about the criteria for these so-called disorders and the unbelievable damage we're doing to our children, to ourselves and society by labeling the, the two generations now growing up believing that A, uh, they are mentally ill, and B, they're not responsible for their own behavior because they are mentally ill. Uh, you can't have a, a functioning society and you can't have a, a uh, responsible citizenry uh, being roped in and cataloged this way. So let me go through some of the categories here to show you just how as you listen to this, you are mentally ill. According to the DSM, and it's hundreds of diagnoses, I'm going to leave start beyond the childhood diagnoses with substance dependence, <clears throat> substance intoxication, and substance withdrawal. Now, I'm not saying that the overuse of drugs uh, it cannot, is not a problem, but it's a moral problem. It causes medical problems, there's no question about that, but there is no medical reason for putting a joint to your lips or lifting a, bar, a glass off the bar uh, or lighting a cigarette. Oh, lighting a cigarette, you say? Let me go through some of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. Alcohol intoxication. If you've ever had a few beers, and you've got that wonderful buzz or some wine that lubricates a party or a couple of drinks, you are mentally disordered 
because you suffer from alcohol intoxication. And I want to read the criteria for this medical problem. The recent ingest A, recent ingestion of alcohol. B, clinically significant maladaptive behavior or psychological changes, inappropriate sexual or aggressive behavior. Um, as as uh, Shakespeare said, alcohol doth increaseth the desire, but decreaseth the performance. And many of us have found that out over the years. Impaired judgment, impaired social or occupational functioning that develops during or shortly after alcohol ingestion. Who talks this way, by the way? Uh, C, one or more of the following signs, slurred speech, incoordination, unsteady gait, impairment in attention and memory. Uh, the symptoms are not due to a general medical. Okay? So every time you have a couple of drinks and you get that buzz, uh, you should not get into a car. I, by, the way, by the way, I don't think there should be a defense uh, that says because I was drunk and I was impaired, uh, I shouldn't go to jail if I run somebody over. Uh, I think that uh, our behavior must be our responsibility. You can't have a moral system. Again, I don't believe you can. Um, so nobody should drink and drive. And if you do and cause an accident, you've committed a crime. The drinking was not a crime, but the accident certainly was. You're responsible. I'm responsible. Okay. Uh, Caffeine-related disorders. How many of you, raise your hands out there in Cyberland, have a couple of cups of coffee in the morning to get a buzz, to get going, to get stimulated? Did you know that you were mentally ill when you had those, that coffee? Nicotine dependence and nicotine withdrawal. Uh, I smoked for about 10 years, between 15 and 25 or so. I think I've spoken about that. When my wife got pregnant, uh, I thought the responsible thing to do would stop, and it was hard to stop. Mostly for psychological reasons. The withdrawal is mostly uh, uh, not physical, but psychological. A couple of days out, you no longer have the nicotine in your system. But it's your friend. It's a comfort. Um, lighting a cigarette when I didn't know what to say to a girl uh, gave me the time to think. And you always, do you smoke? Would you like a cigarette? Uh, it was a conversation starter. It was a silence breaker. Um, there were so many aspects of smoking that I loved. I didn't love the sore throat that I had all the time. And I certainly didn't love my mouth in the morning when I woke up and I could set fire to the paint on the wall because my breath was what it was. But to sm say people who smoke are mentally ill, um, no, it's a bad habit with serious consequences. Uh, anybody who smokes is taking their life in their hands, shortening their life. Okay? So I'm going to leave that. But I want you to keep thinking, how many people are umbrellaed under this? How many people uh, show impairment of behavior because they had a few too many drinks? Should they be red flagged? And should they be red flagged forever? Because once you're red flagged, once you're diagnosis, it's forever. You don't get rid of these diagnoses. Since they really don't exist as a medical condition, nobody can ever demonstrate that you've been cured. So you're always, always being diagnosed as 
in in you're in uh, uh, you're no longer showing symptoms. You see, uh, you're in remission. That's the term that's used. You're in remission, but you'll be in remission for the rest of your life. And if we're red flagged for this and put into a computer, uh, wow. Uh, depression. Now, I'm not going to go into the major depression and bipolar depression. Again, uh, a lot of people get depressed. But one of the diagnoses here that uh, is new, and I want to go to page 356 for it, is major depressive episode. That is a good one. Because this captures millions and millions and millions of people. I don't know any human being on this planet who doesn't have, at one time or another, or in certain successions, the following symptoms. Okay? Five or more of the following symptoms for a two-week period. In other words, you have these in the same two-week period. A depressed mood most of the day. Nearly every day, as indicated by the subjective report, I feel sad or empty. Markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities. Some weight loss, possible. Either you can't sleep or you are sleeping too much. Uh, you're agitated or having trouble moving around because there's a loss of energy and fatigue. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. I always love that, inappropriate guilt. How does anybody know whose guilt is inappropriate? Uh, we set ourselves up to be God because we really don't know the secrets and the past of the people who come in and tell us they're depressed or anything else. Right? Um, recurrent thoughts of death, not just fear of dying, recurrent suicidal ideation, this is a big one for me because I don't know any human being who is thoughtful, who hasn't said and meant it for a few moments or days. Uh, I don't want to live anymore. This is just too much for me. But boy, do we in this country make a deal out of that. So you get depressed for two weeks, you cut out of it, but you're mentally ill. And since you may have suicidal ideation and people who have suicidal ideation uh, if they uh, take the wrong drugs often the drugs that are prescribed for the depression uh, and if you listen to the ads on television that kind of, if you have suicidal thoughts or homicidal thoughts call your doctor right away right he'll answer right away next sexual desire disorders that is hypoactive sexual desire disorder if you don't have enough desire according to your, the subjective evaluation of your therapist as to what's normal, uh, we have now criteria for how often you should get horny and how often you should want sex. Again, it may be a problem for the person. It may be a problem for their partner. And one of the criteria always is that this is a problem either for the individual or for the partner. Uh, it just never really takes into account the nature of a marriage, uh, uh, where a person is in their lifespan. These things become isolated because most of the time you could take these symptoms and connect them to symptoms uh, all through the book. All kinds of things may be going on in a person's life. 
uh, one of the things that you recognize if you're in this field is your initial diagnosis can be added to by five or six other diagnoses or replaced by six or seven or eight other diagnoses as you get to know a person better. There are all kinds of things that you don't tell your therapist, your, your psychiatrist the first time you meet. So if you don't have horny enough female sexual arousal disorder, male erectile disorder, orgasmic disorder, and premature ejaculation. Not that these can't be problems for people, but how many people do you imagine? How many millions of people suffer from these problems from various times in their life? How many? Um, I could go through a number of patients I've seen over the years who had all kinds of sexual problems. I had a man who had erectile dysfunction. Uh, when he was a boy, uh, his older brother was a priest, and he was held up to be um, deficient to his brother. He was not good because the brother was a priest. These were very, very deeply Catholic parents. And when he was a teenage boy and masturbated, with his Playboy magazine. And when we all used to look at the Playboy pictures, and we all would say, no, I have it not for the pictures. I have Playboy for the stories. Right. I don't think I ever read one of those stories. It was the pictures we were after. Today, the pictures are no great deal because you can go online and you can find thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sites that will give you up-to-date pornography. Well, his mother found the book. And he was in parochial school, and one day, after the mother found it, she went to school, and she brought the book into the classroom, where he was beaten with the book, and he was made to show how ashamed he was of this event. And he had sexual problems thereafter. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Medical problem? No. A moral problem. And the people who had the bigger moral problem in my moral system are the ones who did this to this boy, not the kid himself. Eating disorders. Add the eating disorders. People who eat too much, people who eat too little, for a whole wide variety of reasons. Can it be a serious problem? Yes. Can it lead to serious problems? Medical problem in and of itself? No, it's psychological. It's a way people deal with emotions, the way that people organize their lives. It's a wonderful scene in a movie, uh, In and Out, uh, if you've never seen the movie with Kevin Kline, uh, who's really uh, secretly a gay teacher. Uh, and one of his former students gets a an Academy Award and announces at the awards uh, he wanted to thank his teacher, uh, Mr. Bracken, and he's gay. And, and the, what, episode, what comes out of this is hysterically funny, but the girlfriend uh, of, the, of the actor is a model, a well-known model, and at one point she says, I can't go with you, I've got to get ready, I've got to vomit. Uh, There's a lot of problems. <laughs> However, if you are a model and you don't hold your weight to a certain uh, level, you, you know, again, it's a distorted society we live in, uh, an unhappy thing to say people shouldn't enjoy their food because we all want to look at uh, skinny women, uh, none of whom are actually that way unless they are uh, suffering the pangs of hunger or throwing up. Big problem. Not a medical problem. can lead to a medical problem. But again, how many people do we now add to the substance abuse, 
the, the depressions. Uh, oh, I missed anxiety disorder. Um, people who have phobias. There are people who, how many millions of people are afraid of dogs, of cats, of cockroaches? Any one of these fears that really prevent you from going someplace or going to somebody's house, you have a mental disorder. You're mentally ill. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, this deserves its own show, and I'm just going to give a couple of minutes to this. This is one of the most awful boondoggles. This is really applied mostly to soldiers who have uh, flashbacks, uh, who can't get over the emotional consequences of killing and uh, of seeing death and being wounded. We send people into hell. We expect them to come back and be uh, the way they were before. I almost said well-adjusted. But again, as we go through this, who of us are well-adjusted since we all are fit into one category or another of being mentally ill? Um, before post-traumatic distress disorder, it was, uh, shell, no, it was uh, war neurosis in World War II. Before war, war, war neurosis in World War I, it was shell shock. And before shell shock, before the psychiatrist began defining the morality of behavior in war, it was cowardice. Right? Now, I'm not suggesting that anybody who can't fight in war is a coward. But that is uh, uh, our value system. Our value system and the value system all over the world is that we love war. And one of the tests of manhood and one of the reasons we have constant wars is to give meaning to the life, mostly of men. Uh, in our country, it also to keep selling the war machines, uh, the, in, the, in, the guns and the rockets and the airplanes and the tanks and the trucks that make up uh, a technologically advanced army because uh, unless these are used up uh, in subsequent wars or made outmoded, uh, the economy would collapse. So uh, war has all kinds of, of, of things behind it other than the glory uh, that we convince people uh, to believe war represents. It is a horror. It is the moral low point of the human species, no matter where it's fought. Uh, but each generation uh, denies what the last generation went through, and we create a glorious image uh, and we find meaning in our lives, uh, which we can't find so many of the times in other ways by uh, becoming heroes and killing and dying, which again causes tremendous emotional uh, uh, problems to live with. The guilt, the shame, the fear that you're not supposed to have so that you can't work it through. So when men collapsed in war, they were cowards and they were hung or shot. Then in World War I, Freud himself treated those individuals who had uh, uh, shell shock by putting two electric wires to the side of their head and putting juice through their brains. Uh, electroconvulsive shock therapy is called today. Then it was a shock. Uh, and most of these soldiers went back to the front rather than endure the punishment because this was not treatment. This was saying to an individual, you have to go back and you have to fight, kill, and die, uh, no matter how your emotions react. And maybe someday, if we survive as a species, 
It's the people who can't pull the trigger who will see as the heroes uh, or, or the more, taking the moral high ground, not those who can kill. Not to take away anything from the young men and women who are fighting our wars. They believe they are doing the right thing. Uh, they are to be admired. Uh, on the other hand, uh, those who send them, and I'm going to talk some about some of the people who are constantly starting and sending the wars, because they don't get diagnosed even though the DSM say they are seriously mentally disturbed. Um, these individuals uh, are truly the evil and immoral uh, on our planet. Okay, um, anxiety disorders. Well, we'll leave the anxiety. So we eat. Sleep disorders. Did I say that? You can't sleep. You have insomnia. Page 604. If you have nightmares, nightmare disorder, add that to the list. How many millions? How many millions are we adding? Okay. Uh, women used to get a period, many people, where they have depression, they have all kinds of serious physical sequelae, all kinds of pain, all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of difficulties. It's now a mental illness, a serious mental illness. Uh, what's the name? You know what? I forget sometimes. I'll come back to it. Um, Anyway, let's go on. Uh, let's turn. Impulse disorders. The next time you blow up at your wife or your kids and you scream and carry on, maybe punch the wall. Uh, when I was a younger man, I did that a few times. Recognize that you have an impulse disorder, specifically intermittent explosive disorder. Isn't that great? Intermittent Explosive disorder. That has a ring to it. You gamble too much? Pathological gambling. Adjustment disorders. If you are anxious and depressed because you're going through hard times, you have an adjustment disorder. We are expected to adjust. We are expected to laugh and sing and be brave in the face of all adversity. Uh, how many millions... Tens of millions have an adjustment disorder and insomnia and maybe drink too much because the economy threw them out of jobs and they lost their homes, etc., etc. How could it be abnormal to not have some of these behavioral uh, difficulties and adaptations because that's what they are? Not the happiest of adaptations, but that's what they are. They are not medical problems. They are not. They are not. I'm sorry, they are not. Uh, social anxiety disorder. Afraid to talk to girls, have trouble getting a date, become tongue-tied. Uh, we used to say you were shy. Shyness no longer exists because the good doctors in the psychiatric field have decided that if you have trouble going up to talk to girls, if you become tongue-tied, or boys for that matter, I don't know why I'm keep doing it from my point of view, you have a social anxiety disorder. Ah, how many millions? How many millions? Tens of millions. This is typical behavior for many of us. I didn't know. I thought I was shy around girls when I was a teenager. Now I discover I was simply undiagnosed. A doctor once said to me, you think you're healthy. 
People think they're healthy until we work them up. This is even more true for the psychiatric field. The right set of questions can have anybody diagnosed as major depressive disorder, adjustment disorder, uh, sleep disorder, drinking. It goes on and on and on. There's one I want to spend some time on before I conclude the show um, and go have my dessert. And that's on page 717. This is a great one. Now, let me introduce this, because now we're talking about what are called character disorders. What's a character disorder? When I first came <coughs> excuse me, into the field, there were three broad categories of mental illnesses. Then there were mental illnesses. They were not called disorders. One were psychoses, schizophrenia, uh, depressions that immobilize you. I didn't cover schizophrenia uh, because I've done that in separate categories, uh, and it's really not one to catch millions and millions of people because the point of this show tonight is that um, you are uh, you are defined uh, uh, by by this book and by the field as mentally ill uh, and, and therefore potentially dangerous and should be red flagged simply because these diagnostic categories go out and, and ripple out into society and capture millions and millions of people. Okay? But the character disorders are different. I'm sorry, the second one were the neuroses. The neuroses were obsessive-compulsive you know, disorder, anxiety disorder, these were things that made people come in for therapy or seek help because it screwed up their life. They didn't like being this way, right? While they could cause problems with other people, primarily the neurotic knew that something was unhappy in their life and would come seeking reasons for why uh, they counted to 10 uh, or, 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 and walked forward and back 40 times or stood before the clothing closet and, and couldn't pick out a shirt, couldn't make up their mind. Um, I had a, a patient many, many years ago who had this thought as he drove his car, I ran over somebody, and he compulsively turned the car around and went back to the spot where he believed he ran over somebody. He would turn the car and continue his journey, and two blocks later was turning around again. And this, this was driving him and everybody else crazy, and there's a real problem for him. Not a medical problem, because we untied this thing. Why it had to do with his own murderous impulses and the guilt he had over any kind of anger and how it tied up to this particular kind of fantasy that was taking over his life. In any event, that was the neuroses. So these are people who are disturbed but still function. The walking mentally ill. Then the character disorder is the third category. Character disorders are people who have bad and dangerous personalities but like it. They don't see themselves as the problem. They see everybody else as the problem. Okay? And this is, again, a very broad category of, of individuals. So that if you uh, keep away from social relationships, if you're a, a loner, uh, you can be diagnosed as a schizoid character disorder. In other words, this is something you want to live like, okay? Um, 
borderline personality disorder are almost always given to women. And when you go back into the childhood of these women, you find out that a great many of them were sexually and physically abused. And the main symptom is a difficulty, a terrible fear of rejection, but a fear of getting too close. Uh, these individuals will drive you crazy, in effect, if you don't understand how to deal with them. Um, I once had a person who terribly was, had been sexually abused uh, by an older brother for years and terrified. And I made a mistake about a year and a half into our relationship by saying to her, uh, you look pretty today. That was it. Uh, in her mind, I was coming on to her, and she was out the door in a flash. Fortunately, we had enough of a relationship in our up and down uh, with her getting, trying to get close and have me uh, be uh, protective of her and, and love her and at the same time terrified of this. Uh, this was an adaptation. It was an adaptation to very difficult circumstances. Yes, it was a problem for her. Yes, it was a problem for anybody around her, but not a medical problem. It had nothing to do with medicine, nothing to do with anything wrong in her brain or in her, or her hormonal system. However, how many people can be diagnosed like this? Millions, literally millions. My favorite, however, is the narcissistic personality disorder. And I want to read to you the characteristics of the narcissistic personality disorder. And it starts, a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, a need for admiration, a lack of empathy, beginning in early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following, has a grandiose sense of self-importance, that is, exaggerates achievements and talents, expects to be recognized as a superior without commensurate achievements, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special high-status people or institutions, requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement. And by the way, requires excessive... Ad is that a medical term? How do you define excessive? What's excessive to one may not be excessive to another. And when we talk, we talk about the child diagnosis, I'll go through these criteria, where it's often, often does this or often does that. Uh, what is often? How do you define often? Is that a precise definition? Excessive. Okay? Has a sense of entitlement. Is interpersonally exploitive. Takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own ends. Lacks empathy. Is often envious of others and believes that others are envious of him or her. Shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. Now let me ask you boys and girls, who does this sound like? Who does it sound like? To me, it sounds like virtually every politician I'm watching on television. They have all these criteria. They're correct. According to this diagnosis, they are character disorders. They are narcissistic character disorders, narcissistic personality disorders. I've done enough for tonight with this. 
What do we do? What do we do? The people who are the most dangerous are the antisocial personality disorders, the narcissistic character disorders, and they run the show. They run the show. I've often said that anybody who is willing to take the power of running the lives of millions of people into their hands and not quaking with fear has a problem. They don't know they have the problem. It's not a medical problem. It's a moral problem. It's a problem of bad character. How they come about this way is another story we don't have to get into. We probably don't even know. But these individuals are the ones who now keep calling for keep the guns because I want to be reelected because I deserve to be reelected. No matter how I screw up the country, I deserve to be reelected. I only hang out. I'm entitled. Uh, somebody sent me uh, a, a petition to sign that suggests that congressmen should only have the same health insurance as the rest of us, that they shouldn't have because they were in Congress for two years or the Senate for six, lifetime pensions that make your hair stand on end because you would wish and I would wish to be able to have them. Did you know that when you're in Congress uh, or in the, in, in the Senate, your children don't have to pay back their college loans? How many of you are choking on those loans? So the individuals who are really dangerous, who take over and create all these problems, these are the individuals who are not diagnosed because we don't dare diagnose them, and these are the individuals uh, who create so many of the problems for the rest of us lowly folk, uh, who now have to struggle with the wars they start but don't fight. Uh, uh, the corporation executives who believe that their salaries, even if the company goes under, should be bigger and higher. Uh, when they leave the company, golden parachutes that make them rich for life. Right? <clears throat> of course, we could discuss this from the point of view that this is not individual personality, but this is how the culture operates. The culture inculcates it. And the rest of us admire it. And the rest of us wish we could be like these individuals until we get there and try to spend time with them. And that's not the case after that. What do we do? What do we do? I reiterate, these are all moral labels. We are all morally labeled. All of us. All of us have moral deficiencies. In, in, in uh, Catholicism, if in Christianity, we're born sinful. Uh, and if you're a good Catholic, you have to constantly say, mea culpa, you have to confess, you have to be forgiven, you have to promise not to do it again. We all struggle to be good people. I've never had a patient ever, nor anybody I know had a patient, who didn't proclaim early on, I'm a good person because they deep down know that the behavior that's being diagnosed is wrong behavior. It's often hurtful and damaging to themselves and others, even if they don't understand it. They want to take responsibility, even when they're being told you don't have to take responsibility. Guns have to go. And the only way they will go is for all of us to begin insisting that since we're all mentally ill, 
add one more diagnosis or simply say, since we're all mentally ill, none of us should have guns. We should all be red flagged as potentially violent. And I believe that's true. Or let's add one more, two more diagnoses. How about gun ownership disorder? Has fantasies of shooting other people, enjoys shooting a gun. We could just add it up and add it to the DSM. It'll never get there. Uh, I'll be diagnosed as completely crazy for suggesting it. One of the other ones I would like to suggest before we leave is war lovers disorder. You ever see the film Patton? Patton was an interesting guy. Um, he was crazy. I use that as a moral term. This was an individual who loved war. There's a scene in the movie where he looks out on a battlefield with thousands of dying and dead and says, God help me, I love it. These are the people who don't fight wars. They start them. They start them. And they're all over the world. And they and the antisocial personality disorders and the narcissistic character disorders get together and they make life hell for all of us. Who then, who then look up to them as leaders, look up to them and admire them and put on our uniforms and take out our guns and begin shooting. So, I've done enough for tonight. Uh, if you've been listening, I thank you. Uh, I'm going to hang up. My tea and my chocolate loaf cake are waiting for me. Uh, I will wait another 60 seconds if anybody would like to call in. Well, I feel this was a good show. Next week, 7.30 again. Uh, please, if you if you hear this this week and you want to come back, make it a half hour early. My wife wants me to watch a movie with her. And if I wake till, you know, almost nine, both of us want to go to sleep before the movie is over. So, good night. Have a good week. And I thank you for listening.